Well, good morning again. So glad you're here. I know you were just standing, but I invite you to stand one more time as we go before the text this morning. We stand as we read God's word. And uh, before we do, I'd like to start off with a prayer, a prayer of uh, kind of dedication, recommitment, called the Shema out of Deuteronomy 6. Say it after me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. We're in Revelation 9 today. You heard it right here if you're new this morning. Revelation 9, 1 through 12. So hear the word of the Lord. It says this. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. And when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it, like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke of the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of a sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their head, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had a king over them, the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew was Abaddon, and in Greek was Apollyon, that is, destroyer. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Long-haired, horse-shaped, flying locusts with scorpion tails and lion's teeth. Welcome to Randall Church this morning. Well, like I said, we're in the middle of this Revelation series. We don't run away from Scripture. We want to understand it. We want to understand what's going on. And so we are walking through at least half of this book this summer. And right now we're in the middle of a section, uh, this, a very distinct section, uh, called the trumpet judgments. There are these seven trumpets that are sounding. We looked at the first four last week. We're looking at number five today. And let's be honest, this is weird, right? This is weird stuff. Long-haired, horse-shaped, flying locusts, scorpion tails, agony, pain, torment. What's going on here? Because again, we, we've said before when we were opening up, I said at the beginning of this thing, this, this book, this letter, is meant to bring hope. It's meant to bring uh, excitement. It's meant to bring comfort in the midst of an evil age, in the midst of a, of a, of a world that seemingly is uh, backwards, upside down, and dark. So what's going on here if this is supposed to bring comfort, some sort of comfort or hope? Well, let's do a bit of review here. 
Because John tells us in the opening lines of Revelation how to understand this letter. So let's just do a little uh, review to get our, our, our sea legs back a bit. He says the very first line, Revelation 1.1, he said, the revelation from Jesus Christ. That's what he calls this letter. He says, this is a revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, the word in Greek for revelation is apocalypsis or apocalypse, which we've heard that uh, before. We've seen enough of those kind of movies that we tend to think that that means the end of the world or something bad that's going to happen. But really, this word simply means to uncover or to reveal. So revelation is a, is a letter written to specific churches and specific times in order to reveal some really hard truths in pictures and metaphors. So this book, this letter, is not meant to co- confuse. It's meant to clarify, which sounds a bit strange because this might be the most confusing letter for us. There is, and yet... He calls it, John calls it, a revelation. It's actually meant to clarify, not to confuse. And so what it does is it uses words pictures. It uses symbolic imagery and numbers. It's metaphoric. And it draws largely on the Old Testament and current events at that time in order to explain some hard concepts. And so the reason why it, it might be difficult for us is because we don't know, we don't understand, we don't have a familiarity with the images and symbols that John is drawing from, that they would have or they would have understood. So it's going to take a little bit more work for us than it was for them, but all the same, it's meant to clarify. Sometimes we're told what these symbols mean, but more often, the author, John, is assuming that his audience knows how to trace an image through the biblical and historical context to get its meaning. So I made a case uh, at the beginning of this Revelation series. I made a case for how we are to read Revelation. I challenged us and invited us to eat the whole cupcake if you remember. I made this point. I said, Revelation begins, a faithful reading of Revelation begins by looking to the past, how they would have understood it, knowing that they understood the Old Testament references and the historical context of that day. What is it that they would have heard reading this letter that was addressed specifically to them So we have to begin by looking at the past, which then will help guide us in the present as we hope for the future. So a faithful approach to Revelation doesn't take just one bite or one section of the cupcake. It doesn't just eat the frosting. It doesn't just eat the cake. It doesn't just eat the filling. We don't focus just on a a, a past, a historical understanding of Revelation. We don't just try to look at it and try to understand simply what it would mean to us today. And we don't just look into the future and say, what is it going to happen way back then? No, we take a bite of the whole cupcake. And when we do that, we begin to see all the things that we're meant to clarify and not to confuse. So when we get to long-haired horse-shaped flying locusts with scorpion tails and lion's teeth, and we go, what is this? Well, friends, let's take a bite of the cupcake, shall we? And let's start in the past. Now, we mentioned last week, these trumpets sure do sound like another story in the past. It sure does sound, when we're hearing all these trumpets and what they do, it sure does sound like something that's being referenced in a story before in the Old Testament. 
You have bitter water and hail and darkness and blood in the water. And now we have locusts. Where have we heard that story before? It's the Exodus story. It's the plagues. It's a group of people that are holding on. They're hanging on. A people in a land, not their own, living lives of bitterness, longing to go home, and God sends plagues to judge the world. And so whatever these, these seven churches, these early churches, whatever they're asking, they're going to get an answer in the form of another story. Some sort of second exodus. Yeah, I know it's hard. I know, you know, it's really difficult living in this time and place. So I'm going to write you this letter. I'm going to send this word to you. And one of the answers to the question you're asking is, you're in an exodus. You're you're in some sort of second exodus. Now, a couple things to note about plagues as we look back. So whatever it is about these trumpet plagues that are happening— We're going to get some more understanding if we go back and understand what the plagues were doing back in Exodus. Because if we understand what the plagues were doing back then, now when we come to this passage, it'll give us, shed some light on what's going on. So a couple things to note here, and stay with me because we'll put this all together at the end. One of the things that the plagues was doing, and we have to understand back then, is that the plagues were dealing with the deities. The plagues, the, the plagues were dealing with the deities of that time. Now, it's been widely recognized that the plagues in Egypt had a direct connection to the different Egyptian gods there were. They worshipped, there was a polytheistic, they, they worshipped lots of gods. And so some of their main gods, these plagues specifically dealt with. Things like the gods of water and light and, and even Pharaoh himself, the son of God. And so his son is removed. Every one of the plagues has a direct connection to one of the Egyptian deities in that day. They were designed to expose these little gods as the frauds that they were. So the plagues then became a judgment on these gods and all those who worshipped them. Now Seth was the Egyptian half-animal god who ruled over war and darkness and destruction and wind. Everybody say hi to Seth. Hi, Seth. There he is, in all his glory. This kind of half-man, half-animal god, lowercase g, and he ruled over war and darkness and destruction and wind. Now, over time, Seth developed as an evil god in their religion, worshipped for his power to create chaos and violence. So, to deal with that deity, Moses warns that the locusts are coming. He says, the locusts are coming. And when the warning fell on deaf ears, it says in Exodus 10, Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, and the Lord made the east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning, the wind had brought the locusts, and they invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail, everything growing in the fields and the fruits of the trees. Nothing green remained 
on the tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. So it's this language of wind and war, invasion, darkness, black, destruction. It's like God was saying, you want to worship Seth? I can do you one better. And I'm going to give you over to the full force of him and see how you like it. You want to worship chaos? You want to worship destruction? Okay. I will give you over to that which you desire. I will give you over to that which you will worship, and then we'll see how you like it. And here's the thing. God's people did not experience the brunt of these plagues. Over and over in the, in the, in the passage, over and over in the Exodus story, it says again and again, and, Egypt, and Israel was, did not experience this. And, and it was dark over there, but it was totally light over here. All the livestock died over here, but in Israel, nothing. In, in the places where Israel were, nothing happened. God's people did not experience the brunt of these plagues because they did not worship them as gods. Because the plagues were meant to bring judgment on the gods and those who worshipped them. And so to the extent that the people did not worship the Egyptian gods was the extent in which they did not experience the brunt of the judgment. Makes sense. However, hundreds of years later, Hundreds of years later, the prophet Joel continues this theme. But this time, he's not warning Egypt. He is warning Israel themselves. Because by that time, Israel had set up shop in the promised land. But they had begun worshiping other gods just like Egypt. So Joel writes to warn them that the locusts are coming. He uses the same imagery. He says, remember what happened back then? And how they worshiped the gods, and so God gave them over to that which they worshiped? Well, the locusts are coming for you, too. It says this in Joel. The locust has the teeth of a lion. Interesting. We've heard that already. The fangs of a lioness. It is close at hand, says Joel. A day of darkness and gloom. Sound familiar? A day of cloudness and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountain, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in the ancient times, nor will ever be again. That, we've heard that before. Before the fire devours, behind them a flame blazes. Before them the land is like the Garden of Eden, behind them a desert waste. Nothing escapes these locusts. They have the appearance of horses, they gallop along like Calvary with the noise like that of chariots. Man, that sure sounds familiar, doesn't it? War and darkness and destruction. It's like Joel is saying, remember that God, Seth? Remember what the real God did to him and his worshipers? That could be you too if you don't stop bowing down to your false gods because the locusts are coming. And they'll spare you if you don't join in the worship. Don't bow down to those gods. God will give you over to the full force of them if you choose. Repent. Turn away. Be warned. So that's what plagues did. Plagues were the thing that were directed against the deities. They specifically dealt 
with the deities. They are dealing with them. But there's actually another uh, reason or another idea behind the plagues. And that is that they were directed by the demonic. They were directed by the demonic. Now we get a hint of this in the very last plague in Egypt. The plague of the death of the firstborn. It says this in Exodus 12. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. Now, interesting, because this passage kind of says two different things. It says, well, wait a minute. It's, it's God that comes down to strike all the firstborns, and yet in another sense, it's this destroyer who's doing that, and it's God who either permits or doesn't permit for it to happen. So while it can be said that it's God who does the striking down of the firstborns because he has ultimate authority over it all, it is actually this destroyer who actually performs the action. God permits him to steal and kill and destroy. He's the destroyer. And we actually see this in other places, where God ultimately is in control. He's ultimately one responsible because he has authority over all, and yet he permits the demonic to move in certain ways and, and, and go in certain times in order for his will to be accomplished. You will remember probably most famously Job, right? Job is someone. God permits Satan to send plagues on Job with limitations. You can do this, but you can't do that. And God kind of sets the parameters to allow the destroyer, the evil one, to come and to send those plagues onto Job for a specific reason. So it can be said that God did it, and yet there was a demonic force behind what was going on. Other places in scriptures, God permits evil nations to temporarily thrive to accomplish his will. I'm going to let you thrive, hey, Assyria. Uh, you know, I'm going to let you thrive for a little while in order to accomplish my will. So I'm allowing this to happen, and yet you're kind of, this evil thing is, is kind of behind it as well. You will have power for this long. You can do this, but not this. And you can thrive for this long, but then there is a, a limit where I will cut that off. Now, in our passage this morning, we find that the locust plague is also directed by the demonic. They come from this smoky abyss. They have scorpion tails and long hair, which are both direct illustrations and descriptions of demons in the Bible. We can find that other places. It's, it's, it's trying to give us a, a hint. It's like this is, there's this demonic force here. And yet, God is in control of it. God permits the locusts, but with limitations— they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. You can do this, but you can't do that. I'm, I'm going to permit you to thrive for a season. In our past five months, you, you're going to get that much time, but then that's it. That's all you get. So these plagues are driven by the demonic, even though God has ultimate authority and control over all and provides limits provides gardeners that allow him, governors that allow him to still be in control and still have, uh, even though he's using the demonic in order to accomplish his will. 
But at the end of the passage this morning in Revelation, we find that we actually get even a more description of the leader of this demonic army who is directing this demon locust army. It says this, Revelation 9, verse 11. They had a king over them, the angel of the abyss, whose name is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon. That is the destroyer. Interesting. So we have this king who's sort of leading this army. John wants us to know what this king of the demon's name was. It's almost like this wink and this nudge. Like, hey, here's the inside. You know what I'm talking about now. His name is Apollyon. You know who I'm talking about, right? Now, in the Greek, the word Apollyon has the same root word for Apollo. Now, Apollo in the Greek uh, world, worshiping world, was the son of Zeus. We've all heard of Zeus. Apollo was the son of Zeus, king of all the gods. Therefore, Apollo was said to be the son of God. Now, the Roman emperors, they had a special relationship with Apollo, believing themselves to be sons of God, too. So they demanded to be worshipped as Apollo incarnate. I am the manifestation of Apollo incarnate, the son of God. Now, among many other things, Apollo was the god of the plagues. He was the plague god. This is why his name means the destroyer. He has the power to destroy, to send a plague. Here, I want to show you here, here, here's a replica statue of Apollo. This is not original, but it's a a replica statue of Apollo named the Apollo Parnopius, which was carved by a famous Greek sculpture in the day, Phidias, that stayed and lived in Athens. Now, the black box is to spare his dignity, okay? So we're just going to give him his dignity here. But if you look closely, check out what he's holding in his right hand. It's a locust. Now, the name of this carving, the statue that engra- was engraved in Athens, was Apollo Parnopius. This is the name of the statue. Lord of Locusts. Now, as the god of plagues, Locust was one of the symbols that he wore. In fact, he had a specific army that was specific to him, that really uh, was dedicated to him, and they would carry uh, 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 these inscriptions of who he is. So there would be men who would be walking around in this army that had these locusts marching around, say, we are the army of Apollo. So you have this son of God, Apollo, the destroyer, the principle of plagues, the lord of locusts. And John says, there's an army coming. And his name is Apollyon. Wink. You know what we're talking about. Now let's put this all together here. Because again, we're reading with the past in mind. What would they have seen and what they would have heard and what they would have understood For these early churches, they were enduring hardship. They were wondering, how much longer must we wait? And the answer comes in the form of a second exodus. Just like their ancestors, they were a people in a land not their own, living lives of bitterness under an empire uh, and longing to go home. And they had these deities, these gods, these emperors who demanded their worship. They had their own Seth who ruled with war and darkness and destruction. And so, the answer is, I'm sending my plagues. 
You're, you're in the midst of the story. You're right there. I'm sending my plagues, my trumpets, my judgments to deal with these deities. These plagues are directed by the demonic, but I, the Lord, I'm going to permit the destroyer, the principle of plagues, the Lord of the locusts, to rule with limitations for a little while. He'll steal, he'll kill, and he'll destroy. But as God's people, you will be spared from these judgments. Just like in the first exodus. As long as you continue to not bow the knee, don't do it. I'm sending these judgments. This is meant to bring about the change. This is meant to, to, to set everything right. But you have to wait. I ha- give me the time. I have to send the plagues. I have to give them the opportunity to see the gods for themselves, to be given over fully to these gods. And then the end will come. So just, just wait a little longer. You will be spared from the locusts insofar as you continue to heed Joel's warnings to not be like Egypt and not bow down to the gods of your world. Because, John says, the locusts are coming. And it's, they're already here. And they're bad news. Joel says they darken the sun and sky. They look like horses prepared for battle, and their teeth are like lion's teeth. The sound of their wings are like the thundering of many horses in chariots. They are meant to bring torment and agony to those who put their trust in them. I'm going to give them over to the full force of their gods and to see how they like it. And you will get passed over if you continue to be faithful to the one who is the ruler of all. Hang on. You can do it. It's going to get ugly for them. Because sin is. It's ugly. And it's agonizing. It's torment. Hang on. You can do it. See, we've looked to the past to help us get an understanding of what they would have seen and what they would have heard and how they would have understood it. Looking at our Old Testament stories, looking at the context in that day, we've looked to the past, which now can guide us in the present. Because, friends, the locusts are coming. And in fact, they're just like then. They're here. Because you and I continue to be part of this second Exodus story. Just like those who've gone before us, we are a people in a land not our own. And it feels like every day that's more and more true. We are a people in a land not our own, living lives of bitterness, longing to go to our heavenly home. And we have these deities, these gods, these empires who demand our worship. We have our own Seths who rule with war and darkness and destruction. It's the god of liberation and individualism and control and materialism. It's the god of comfort and sexuality and achievement and knowledge. And so God sends his plagues, his trumpets, his judgments to deal with these deities. You want to bow down to them? Go for it. I'm going to give you over to your sin. I'm going to give you over to your gods and see how you like it. These plagues were directed by the demonic and they dealt with these deities. God permits the destroyer, the principle of plagues, the lord of the locusts, to rule with limitations for a little while in this world. He steals, he kills, and he destroys. And as God's people, 
we are spared from these locusts insofar as we continue to heed Joel's warning to not bow the knee. Will we bow the knee to liberation and individualism and control and materialism? Will we worship the gods of comfort and sexuality and achievement or knowledge? Or will we say we are a people and we know that worthy is the lamb who was slain and that is the God that we worship? Will we heed Joel's warning to continue to be a people in the second exodus waiting for God to put all things right, letting and allowing the full extent of the plagues to play out so that every person can be exposed to their sin with hopes of repentance. God, will you come? Yes, I'm coming. Hang on. And in the meantime, don't bow that knee. You don't want those locusts. They're bad news. Because the locusts are coming. And they are bad news. These gods, these deities, these idols, they all share the same name. Sin. It's sin. And God will give us over to the full force of our sin. In Isaiah, it actually talks about this. Isaiah prophesies about this, and he says this, all of us, you and me, every single person here, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all of our unrighteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sin. God says, you want to worship that? Fine. Here it is. See how you like it. See, the locusts are the consequences of our sin, meant to bring torment and agony to those who live under it, who bow down to the gods, who worship the deities. I have a friend who is a Christian, and by all accounts, he seems to be doing just fine. Because you can distract, and you can do good, and you can put off for a little while, but the locusts are coming. And then COVID hit, and it took away whatever God he relied on. The full force of his sin was faced it, and it got real dark for him. He couldn't sleep, developed rashes, got on medication. The locust came. And this wasn't just his story. Because across the country in these last 18 months, depression has gone up. Drug and alcohol abuse has gone up. Domestic violence has gone up. Suicide rates have skyrocketed. A people desiring to die, to taste the, de- the taste of death. It's torment. It's agony. It's darkness. It's sin. It's the full force of the choices that we make, the choices that the world has made. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you remember life before you were sealed. I grew up in a Christian home. I have a very vague, very uh, kind of gray memory of any time before or after, but some of you know that day that you were sealed. There's some in this room right now who's like, I remember that. I remember I came to the the end of me and I said, I can't do this anymore. 
This is agony. This is torment. I've shot enough grace videos now to hear the stories. I remember what, what it was like back then. It felt like death itself. And then I met Jesus. And I was sealed. And all of a sudden the locusts passed over. It's like I could breathe again. And the locusts were gone. Because I was sealed by the blood of the Lamb. Some of you know exactly that story. Or you know a good friend or a family member who that's their story. See, this is a story from the past that continues now here in the present as we hope for the future. I'd like to call the band up as we finish up here. It's a story from the past that continues now in the present as we hope for the future because somebody else has come. The destroyer, the demonic, the lord of locusts, the thief, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and life to the full. The thief, the destroyer, that one, he comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come, Jesus says. I've come to give you life and life to the full. We are freed from the locusts. We are sealed. We are passed over. Insofar as we continue to heed Joel's warning day by day, working out our salvation, leaning on the power of the cross. I can tell you firsthand, for me, that seasons when I've lived under sin, when I've bowed down to a God, when I've worshipped a deity, it's torment, it's agony, it's darkness, I can't sleep at night. And then I repent. that little biting of the locusts, they go away. I am sealed in salvation, but I heed Joel's warning to continue to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I heed Joel's warning to say, the locusts will come for you too. God will turn you over to your sin. It's not worth it, because you'll see how you like it. And I, friends, hated it. I hated it. I was given over to my sin and I saw how it was. and I hated it. Because the locusts are coming. In fact, they're already here. So friends, repent. Repent. You don't have to live like this. That thing, whatever God that catches your eye, it's not worth it. bad news. It'll get you in the end. It's agony and torment. Because the destroyer, he comes to steal and kill and destroy. It's a story since the beginning. The destroyer comes to take life. But I've come. Jesus, you have come to give life 
to seal me so that those locusts are not on my doorstep. And I will heed Joel's warning to continue day by day, to continually repent, continually reaffirm, to continually say to Shabbat, Lord, I love you with all my heart and my soul and my mind, my strength, my might. And today I'll do my best to love my neighbor as myself because that hangs in the balance as well. I, I will do these things day by day. I will recommit day by day. I will repent and say, God, I'm a sinner. And I know I'm sealed, God. I know I'm sealed with the blood, but God, help me not to bow down. Because those locusts, they're bad news. And I'm tired of living in the torment of my sin. I'm tired of living in the agony of my sin. The locusts are coming and are here, so we repent. And, and communion, what we're going to do, communion actually provides a tangible opportunity for this. Because in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says that communion is a proclamation of Christ's death. That's what it is. We're proclaiming something when we do this. This isn't just some nice little thing that we do. It's kind of cute and isn't this nice. No, it's a proclamation of the very gospel that we've given our lives to. It's a way for us to say the Lamb of God who was slain and whose blood is on the doorframe of our hearts so that the destroyer, the locust, may pass by again and again and again. I will continue with this cup. I will continue with these elements to continue to put that blood of the slain lamb on the doorposts of my heart so that the locust might pass by. But he also says in the same chapter, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Saying, repent of your sin. Heed Joel's warning this day. This day, before you take it, do it again. And then we'll do it again. And then we'll do it again. Where's that? Where's that God? Let's get rid of that. And then we come to the table to lean on the power of the cross, the resurrect, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you would grab that cup. You can pull back that film now. We'll do it together here. Examine yourself. And, and here's the thing. With this little cup, if there's something you need to do first... Because that's also a warning in Scripture. If there's a brother or a sister you need to go and talk to, hang on to that cup. You can just hang on to it. If you've already opened it, just grab another one on your way out. Hold that on. Examine yourself. And say, God, is there anything I need to go and do? Is there any wrong I need to make right? Is there any sin I need to deal with to get out of there? So that when I take this cup, I can say to God, I've put the slain blood your blood on the doorposts of my heart so that those locusts might pass over. So hold on to that. If, if you're not ready today, and that's okay, that's the conviction of the Lord saying, repent, come back. I want to give you life again. You don't have to live in the agony and torment of that sin any longer. Just go deal with that and then lean on the power of the cross. But if you're ready, if you're ready at this day, right now, let's proclaim 
the death and resurrection of Christ who passes over because of his blood. So this is the bread. This is my body, Jesus said, broken for you. Broken for you. So that you might go free. Let's take. And then Jesus said, this is my blood. The shed blood of the lamb slain and placed on the door for your life so that the destroyer, the one who comes to steal and kill and destroy, might pass over. That the locust, again, because we reaffirm, the locust will see the seal on that forehead and go, we can't touch them because they have not bowed down to the gods that we are dealing with. This is the blood shed for you. Let's take. Let's pray, God. Every day, we are a mess. Every day, that knee twitches to get onto the ground for whatever God catches our eye. So every day, God, we proclaim again new. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. I will not bow to the sets of my world. I will not bow down to the destroyer. I will not bow down to Apollo. I will not bow down to whatever demands my worship because I love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, my mind. so that you could give me life and life to the full. We love you, Jesus. Let's sing about that now.